Well, let's pray as we think about God's word to us today. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would give us clear minds and open hearts to receive your word today. We pray that it would uh, correct us, comfort us, encourage us and spur us on. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1989, the number one song in the Grammy Awards was the song Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. That song was a huge hit around the world. It reached number one in Australia and the United States. Now, the inspiration for the phrase, don't worry, be happy, apparently came from the teachings of a 20th century Indian mystic by the name of Meher Baba. He often used the expression when corresponding with friends of his in the West. And the phrase caught on. It eventually found its way to Bobby McFerrin, who decided to write a song about the idea. Now, why was it that that song was so successful? Now, in my humble opinion, the tune for the song was not that outstanding. I think what made it popular was the sentiment, the idea of not worrying and being happy. Because when it really gets down to it, worry is so prevalent in our society and it can be so debilitating. And many of us so often think, oh, if only I could be free from this worry. But sadly, the elimination of worry is not as simple as McFerrin's song suggests. In fact, Blender magazine, which listed the song in its compilation of the 50 worst songs of all time, said of the words that it's difficult to think of a song more likely to plunge you into despondency than this. Now, thankfully, today our focus is on Jesus's teaching on dealing with worry rather than McFerrin's teaching. But before we plunge in, it might be good to ask the question of what are the sorts of things that cause us to worry? Well, we may often worry about survival in many parts of the world and even parts of Australia. People may worry about where their next meal is going to come from. We may worry about security. Is our job secure? Are our finances secure? Are my key relationships secure? We may worry about our significance. You know, have I made my life count? Have I lived up to my expectations or potentials or the expectations of my parents or or whatever? And we may worry about significant others. How are my children going? How is my parents' health, etc., etc.? And worry seems to have been increased by the current COVID-19 situation, as I'm sure we're all aware. Now, worry, of course, has its very negative impacts. It's disagreeable. It's uncomfortable. It feels bad. It also diminishes. It diminishes our world. It shrinks our vision down to the thing that we're worrying about. It can damage relationships as we get so self-focused we can be thoughtless of others. And it can certainly distract us from serving God. So I'm sure all of us would want to eliminate or at least reduce worry from our lives. Well, today we're continuing our four week series entitled Trusting Jesus. It's based on Luke chapter 12. And we're looking at various things which Jesus teaches about, which can potentially throw our Christian lives a little or a lot 
off course. And today the presenting issue is worry. Now the McFerrin song says, don't worry, be happy. But Jesus says, don't worry, seek wisely or more fully, don't worry, trust God, seek wisely. Our passage is Luke 12, verses 22 to 34. The theme is trusting Jesus over worry. If some of you have managed to get a copy of the sermon outline, there it is. And you'll see that firstly, we're going to speak about don't worry, trust God. That's verses 22 to 30. And then secondly, we're going to think about seeking wisely, seeking God's kingdom. And that's verses 31 to 34. Let's start with our first major section. The passage opens with the exhortation, don't worry. This is verses 22 to 30. Verse 22 reads as follows. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Now, we might worry, you and I might worry about our, our food and our clothes for a, a range of reasons. For some people, it's for reasons of subsistence. In some parts of the world, people wonder where their next meal may come from. But for most of us listening to this uh, sermon, our worries probably are less on subsistence, but more to do with style. Are we eating the right foods in the right places while wearing the right clothes? You see, we live in a society which is very concerned with appearances, with impressions, with things, with the material. Now, when I was at school, which is a number of years back now, blokes like me <laughs> didn't worry too much about fashion. We didn't give too much thought to what we wore. Sure, it might be nice to have a decent surf shirt and, and a good pair of jeans. But besides that, uh, no one worried too much about our clothes. But these days for men, as obviously for women as well, you know, fashion is increasingly important. Body image is increasingly important, along with food, appearance, things, toys, houses, cars, etc. The impressions we make matter to many people a lot of the time. The British philosopher Alain de Botton a few years ago wrote a book called Status Anxiety. And in it, he addressed the anxiety that many of us feel at times about how we are perceived by others, whether we think we are judged as success or failure by others, where we are on the social ladder, whether we're keeping up with the Joneses next door. And this can create a lot of worry for people. I've read somewhere that worry is the Achilles heel of materialism. Well, why is it that we shouldn't worry? according to Jesus' teaching here. Jesus gives a range of reasons. I think three introductory reasons, then a real corker of a reason. First one for a start, he says that there's more to life. Look at verse 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, obviously we need food and we usually need clothes to live. But the passage indicates that God knows that we need these sorts of things. What it's saying is that there's more to life than what we happen to eat or wear. You ask a parent about their baby. Are they more concerned uh, about, I guess, the baby's clothes or what the baby eats? I mean, clearly they're important. Or are they more concerned about the baby itself? Well, clearly it's the baby. The point here is that we should not be overly concerned about the temporal 
material things and miss the bigger things that we should be concerned about, which the passage goes on to discuss. Second thing Jesus says is that worry achieves nothing. Verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The answer is, of course, well, none of you can. And Bobby McFerrin also recognises this in his song. He sings at one point, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. And then thirdly, according to Jesus, the sort of worry described in this passage is what is indicative of people who don't believe in God, of non-believers. Look at verses 29 and 30. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. Now, this is not to say that we can't learn an awful lot from people who may not be Christian believers. Obviously, Many, many, many non-believers have incredible wisdom which we can learn from and benefit from. That's, that's a no-brainer. But the idea here is that we shouldn't live as practical atheists, the way that many non-believers in our culture do. We shouldn't live as if God is irrelevant or as if God's concerns are unimportant. Then Jesus gets to the really big point, the thing that really can minimise our worry. And that's the fact that if we're a believer, Jesus says that God will take care of you. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking earlier in the chapter at a, at a, a bit of Jesus' teaching where he talks about sparrows. Now, sparrows, you may recall, are a very common and a fairly drab sort of bird. It's the sort of bird which would be very difficult to market. Yet God knows the doings even of sparrows. If God knows the doing of sparrows, how much more would he know our doings? Then today, later in the chapter, we come to the raven, Another bird, which is right down there with the sparrows. In the ancient world, apparently the raven was amongst the least respected of birds. Yet God feeds the, even the ravens. He cares for them. He gives them their needs. Again, if God cares for the ravens, how much more will he care for his children? Now, a point which is worth making here is that, of course, ravens don't just sit around with their mouths open and get hand fed by God. They have to go out and search for their food, but God ultimately provides them with their food. Similarly, we don't just sort of sit around and God drops things into our mouths. We need to, in a Christian way, work for things, but God is ultimately the provider of all our needs. Jesus reinforces God's care a few verses later in verses 27 and 28, where he says, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you a little faith? You see, we can worry when we forget about God's care for us. We can worry when we start to live as practical atheists. See, the truth is we are not left 
to drift in a sea of chance. We are not alone in a meaningless universe. The famous British academic and atheist Bertrand Russell once said, brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow sure doom falls pitiless and dark. Russell is not right. That's not the way things really are. And it's particularly not the way things are for us if thanks to God's mercy, we're Christians. God cares for his children. Jesus reassures us. He provides for us. He loves us. Now, none of this is to say that life will necessarily be easy or that we will understand the various things that God allows to come our way. Plenty of things have happened to me in my life, which I've found um, disillusioning or harrowing, which have seemed apparently pointless or have seemed to me to be bad for the kingdom of God. Why would God want that to happen or, or not want that to happen? I've sometimes thought. Now, having lived a number of decades now, I can sometimes look back at past disappointments and see how God has used them for good. But I can look back on some past disappointments and think, what was the point of that? At times like this, we just have to trust God's goodness, trust that he is God taking care of us and doing the best for all concerned. God's care for us is emphasised by Jesus here. And really, when we think about it, God's care for us is absolutely highlighted by Jesus voluntarily going to the cross for us. We should not doubt God's care. But God's care can sometimes beg a few questions. You know, what if I don't get what I want? Why didn't I get that job or that promotion or that relationship? Well, these sorts of things happen fairly often and we just have to trust God's care for us, that he knows best that in his loving wisdom, this is what he has or hasn't allowed to happen. Question I sometimes reflect on is, you know, what about if God's going to provide all our needs, what about Christians who are perhaps facing starvation? in some part of the world. Now this week I tried to contact some African Christian friends of mine and get them to reflect on this verse. Unfortunately, I've not heard back from them, so I can't get their wisdom and experience on that particular issue. However, I'm sure if we looked into it, we would find many examples of God providing for Christians in, I guess, subsistence and borderline starvation situations. And then I'm sure there will be instances where God chooses to call someone home early, as he does for all sorts of reasons all the, all the way around the world. And I guess if someone was called home early and they're enjoying eternity with God, they wouldn't be too fussed about it, would they? Now, a good question to raise here, because it, it impacts lots of us or people who we know, is what about people who suffer from anxiety? you know, worrying, anxiety, that sort of situation. How does the passage help us here? Now, I was communicating with Justine Jenner during the week on this topic. As many of you would know, Justine, much of her work is in the area of pastoral care. And we shared our thoughts on this issue, and I think we can't, we're pretty much of the same mind. And so we thought that if you're a Christian, and, uh, or you know a Christian who struggles with uh, a mental health issue of anxiety, it seems, firstly, that we should endeavour to trust God's care for us. And, secondly, seek 
the assistance of a mental health care professional. You see, professional help may be one of the ways that God cares for that person. But, uh, Justine emphasised, even if a professional healthcare person is, is called in to, to assist, uh, we need to remember that God still cares and can be trusted and has something to say to us in those situations. And also, finally, before we leave this issue, neither Justine nor myself thought that mental health anxiety is necessarily a sin or evidence that we don't trust God. It's something, it can be something quite different to that. But I guess getting back to the main point, Jesus highlights that, Jesus, that God cares for his children. The take-home message here of the first part of the passage is, don't worry, trust God. But there's a lot more here in this reading. You see, verses 22, 22 to 30 talk about those things that we shouldn't do, you know, don't worry. Verses 31 to 34 talks about something which we should do. And uh, it says, suggests that we should direct our thoughts and energies elsewhere, away from worry, that we should seek wisely. And here's our second big point. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, but seek his kingdom. That's God's kingdom. And these things, that is the things God knows we need, will be given to you as well. So, as we follow Jesus, he advises that we direct our thoughts and energies towards seeking God's kingdom. That is, seeking God's rule. That's the kingdom of God, the rule of God. Now, God's rule increases as we personally live more under God's rule and as more people come to live under God's rule and are living increasingly under his rule. As such, uh, kingdom living will prioritise things like our relationship with God, the encouragement and discipleship of other believers, uh, outreach with the gospel, and uh, showing love to others. And this is storing up treasures in heaven, which verse 33 describes. They are real, good, long-term investments. And so our, our passions, our finances, our, our, our prayers, our relationships should be consistent with this sort of seeking, with seeking God's kingdom. Now, as we give ourselves to kingdom work and seeking God's kingdom, God reassures us in verse 31 that he will give us our needs and he encourages us in verse 32 with the truth that he will give us his kingdom, which I take to mean kingdom blessings, one of the chief ones of which is the assurance that we will spend eternity with God and his people. That is something, rather, which would have been a great encouragement to Jesus' early followers as they would be soon running into opposition and persecution. And it's a great encouragement to many Christian believers today. Now, with these assurances regarding our needs being met now and our future being rock solid, we can afford to be generous with the things God gives us. Look at verse 33. Sell your positions, possessions and give to the poor, Jesus says. Now, this doesn't mean giving away everything we own to the poor and having no money left. A, a study of the teaching of the Bible overall about money highlights that we need to be able to look after ourselves, our families, support Christian ministries, as well as helping the poor at the very least. But it means that our lives as Christians seeking God's kingdom should be marked by generosity to others, for example, helping those who are in need. 
So in the light of that, it's good for us to perhaps, I guess, turn the spotlight onto ourselves and ask the question, what do our passions, our finances, our prayers and our relationships tell us about what we're seeking? Do we worry about things? Are we seeking things to do with the kingdom of God? So firstly, what do our passions tell us about what we seek? Now, if you're like me at the moment, you're enjoying watching the Olympic Games. It's something I really love doing. It's great to see people who are at the absolute peak performance in their area of sport, striving to do their best. Years of discipline and training have gotten them there and they're competing on the world stage. Now, it's great to have sport as a passion, but it's not good to have sport as the passion, to put it in the place of God. In the 1960s, there was a very famous American middle distance runner by the name of Jim Ryan. He set world records in the 800 metres, the 1500 metres, the mile, and he won a silver medal at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. What was his passion? Well, Ryan admits as follows. He says, for 10 years, running was my God. I gave my God the best of everything, my time, my energy, my love. Running was his passion. But did it give him peace? Did it make him free of worry? No. He says, no matter how many awards I won, I always wanted more. There was no peace inside. So that passion seemed to produce worry. Thankfully, Ryan uh, apparently became a Christian and presumably adjusted his passions accordingly. What about you? What about your finances? What do your finances tell you about what you're seeking? Now, if you uh, were at night church last week and you heard Steve Young answering questions after his sermon, he told a, a story about a person he knew from another church who a number of years back was, he said, I think making a bit of a point about how the fact that they'd given a few hundred dollars to a ch particular church fund. Now, you know, good thing to do. But then uh, Steve noted that a while later that person told them that they and their spouse were going overseas for a holiday and they always fly business class. Now, of course, we don't know about this person's circumstances and they were probably or possibly you know, a lovely person. But when you compare a few hundred dollars to the church fund and many thousands flying business class overseas, I guess it at least raises the question of what their finances tell them about what they're seeking. I mean, we don't know the full story. I'm just saying it raises the question. What do our prayers tell us about what we seek? Let me give you the, an extract from a prayer from the 18th century by a Mr. John Ward of Hackney in England. Here's part of his prayer. O Lord, thou knowest that I have nine estates in the city of London, and likewise, that I have lately purchased an estate in fee simple in the county of Essex. I beseech thee to preserve the two counties of Essex and Middlesex from fire and earthquake. And as I have a mortgage in Hertfordshire, I beg of thee likewise to have an eye of compassion on that county. And for the rest of the counties, thou mayst deal with them as thou art pleased." <laughs> That prayer certainly suggests something about what Mr. Ward was seeking in his life. Now, what, what, do, what do our prayers indicate? What do we pray about? Do we pray for 
success, for, for financial security? Uh, or do we pray for godliness? What do we pray for our children, that they grow up to be successes or that they grow up to be godly people? Good question. And finally, what do our relationships tell us about what we're seeking? What do our relational commitments indicate to us about our concern for the kingdom of God? What do our conversations with others, Christians or non-believing family and friends, say to us about what we think is important, what we're seeking? Are we keen to point people to Jesus or do we prefer just to keep the peaceful status quo? Let me conclude. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching his followers about following him and he alerts them to various dangers. And in the passage we've looked at today, we've considered the disagreeable, diminishing, damaging and distracting nature of worry. Of worrying about things which we could trustingly leave in God's caring hands. Rather, Jesus says that our energies and our thoughts should be more wisely focused on seeking God's kingdom and working on treasures that last. So if we were looking for a big idea for this passage today, it would be don't worry, trust God, seek wisely. Don't worry, trust God, seek wisely. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we so often worry. We can be very good at worry. But Lord, we do pray that this passage, this teaching from Jesus will encourage us not to worry, but to trust in your care for us and that you would direct our thoughts and energies towards seeking your kingdom, pursuing things that impact eternity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.